The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Come on, you're here. Good morning, everybody. Man, I am so glad that you're here. Uh, man, today is also Super Bowl Sunday, so you're here. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Quick poll. How many of you guys are rooting for the Buccaneers and Tom Brady? Just by a raise of hands. How many of you guys are rooting for Kansas City Chiefs? Raise your hands. How many of you guys go, don't really care? Okay, so, yeah, and you guys can leave right now. Just go, get out. No, don't really. Um, Hey, we are wrapping up a series called Counting Chickens, and um, it might be a bit of a, a silly title to a degree, but we've been talking about the time between there's things you hope for, you dream for, you're looking forward to, certain milestones in life. We're talking about from the time that you think of those things or dream about those things to their fulfillment. And it's that phrase, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't get ahead of yourself too far. So we've been talking about the time in between and what it looks like for you and I to learn patience, for you and I to learn how to trust, for you and I to watch our faith develop in that in between. But today, as we land the plane and end this series, we're gonna be talking about when chickens hatch. What do you do once the dream is fulfilled? What do you do once you reach the milestone? What do you do once it's time to celebrate? So we're gonna talk about that here in just a couple of moments. If you're looking for a spot in scripture to land, we'll be in Luke chapter 17. So if you got a Bible with you, I always encourage bringing a Bible. Of course, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, that works as well. As a church, a lot of us use the YouVersion Bible app and we have a reading plan uh, that we subscribe to together to read through the Bible. I also encourage you to take notes, not because everything I say is so amazing, but my hope would be that you can write some things down to take with you to continue to think about, pray about, and allow yourself to be transformed because paper doesn't forget, but you and I definitely do. Um, the day that I graduated Northwest University was a great day. The day that I got married was awesome. The day that each of my kids were born, and we have four of them, um, those were wonderful days. The, the first time I got to go to Europe, to me, that was an incredible experience. The day that I got married um, was a great day. It happened here on this stage. I think back to the day I became the youth pastor here was way back in the year 2000 and a long time ago in a galaxy far, far Away. The day I became the lead pastor was 2009, January 1, and that to me was another incredible day. And you're like, can we just stop talking about you, please? And I'm about to get there, okay? But my point when I say that is this. We've all had days worth celebrating. We've all had those moments when, like I'm saying, the chickens hatched, you received the dream, you got to the point where something was fulfilled, and maybe for you, it was a wedding or an anniversary. I was talking to somebody on the way in a little earlier, their 30th wedding anniversary and how they celebrated and stuff, um, but maybe for you, it's a clean and sober day. It's a date you remember that I've been sober for X amount of days or years, and that's something worth celebrating, or maybe the birth of children, or, or maybe the day that the doctor said, hey, you're cancer-free, or the disease is gone, or you know things are better, and you can now, whatever. Um, I don't know what milestones it might be for you, but here's the thing. Once you've received the promise, once you've got to the point where what you've been dreaming of has been achieved, what do you do? And there's a key that I think applies to all of us that once we get to whatever point of celebration we're at, what happens is a big deal. And Luke chapter 17 helps us walk through that. If you start here in verse 11, it says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. 
as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance calling out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where then are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask for you to work and, and help us understand together this text. I pray for your spirit to, to Lord, be what, what guides us, what enlightens us, what, what helps us understand. And so we today together surrender to the work of your Holy Spirit. Whether we're here in person, maybe we're watching online, looking through a screen, my prayer is that you would work no matter what, helping us understand that when we get to the point that something is fulfilled, that when we get to the point that the dream is now fulfilled and, and willing, or ready to be celebrated, that you would have your way in our hearts because that moment and what happens then matters in Jesus' name, amen. This is a story that, that you've maybe read before. Again, it's Luke chapter 17, Jesus. In, in, in Luke, over and over, the ongoing theme is obviously Jesus as a gospel is heading to Jerusalem. And so it talks a lot about where he's going or where he's been or where he's traveling to. And right now it says he's heading to Jerusalem. Again, closer and closer to the cross. But it says that he was on the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, 10 lepers met him. Now, you've got to think for a moment if you know anything about leprosy, and maybe you only know a little bit, or you can say a skin disease, but if you were a leper, or if you had a certain skin disease, there were requirements. If you're taking notes, write down Numbers chapter 5. Okay? Numbers chapter 5 describes this idea of the, the, the need for purity within the camp. And if you had a certain defiling skin disease, leprosy, you were required to remain outside the camp. In fact, in more detail, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, gives us this. Anyone with such a defiling disease, listen to this, must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. To me, that would be such a brutal way to have to live. For, for, for when I look at this and you think of like, you're not allowed to be with everyone else. You're not allowed to hang out because you have this. This is where, and still today, there are leper colonies groups of people with defiling skin diseases that requires them to remain away from normal society. And it says that they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And yet, what do you find when you look at, at these guys and what they're crying out? They're not crying out unclean. They're keeping a distance and yelling to Jesus, Jesus, master, have pity on us. They're crying out because they realize that Jesus, who has, they've been hearing rumors of miracles and about what God can do and the power of, of you know, this individual who's a, maybe a prophet, you know, a healer, something like that, and he's here. And so they're crying out for hope. Jesus, have pity on us. It's no different, to be honest, than you and I today, that when you realize 
the power of what sin does within the human heart. How, how unclean you and I are because of the issue. That's, that's a, a, an entire you know, global mankind issue of sin. We're unclean. And these guys get it, but they're asking for something to happen. Have pity on us. It says, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, I find that intriguing because you would think that maybe he would just pray and they would be healed and everything would be great. But that's not what happens. He literally says, they have this disease. They're saying, have pity on us. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. They're not healed. Nothing changes. They turn around and have to walk the other direction. And I don't know what they're thinking. Oh, great. I guess nothing's going to happen. But they actually go and, and, and there's some kind of faith that they have. They turned to leave. They turned to go that direction. They went the direction of where the priests would be. And it says they were cleansed. Now that's quite a moment. If you're required to wear ripped clothing and keep your hair kind of nasty and, 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 and you know, yelling out unclean, unclean, and now all of a sudden everything's amazing. Like they're walking along and they're looking at each other going, you look incredible. You look incredible too. You've never looked better. Neither of you. You guys look, this is awesome. Look, we're healed. And what does it say happens? I don't know exactly what the 10 were thinking. I know what the one was thinking, the other nine. All we know is apparently they go live happily ever after. Maybe they go to the priests and, and make the required sacrifice. Maybe they just go about their lives like, hey, we're good. We can be with society. Let's go live life. But what does it say? As they went, they were cleansed. And then it says this, the very first word of verse 15, one. One of them. One, when he realized he was cleansed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. If, if there's 10 people and only one goes back to give thanks, what percentage is that? This is really rusty times, apparently. Like, look, we've been all living in caves. I don't know math anymore. You know, like, I forgot. I don't get it. Homeschooling. Homeschooling. Thank you. I call mine Pilchuck math. Graduated from Marysville Pilchuck. It's Pilchuck math. But the right answer is 10%. One guy out of 10, they're all healed. One guy out of 10 goes back to stop and give thanks. And I hate to say this. But sometimes I wonder in the world that you and I live in, if God isn't over and over blessing us, doing things in our lives that are amazing, healing, delivering, setting free, providing all kinds of different ways God is working. And how often do you and I stop and thank God and give God credit for the good things that happen in our lives? Do we even 10%? Give God credit? Do 10% of people even give God credit? My wife just recently, I think it was yesterday, posted something on social media. It was a quote from John Piper. And, and I'm not gonna quote it word for word, but it basically said this. 
at any given time, God is working in your life in 10,000 ways and you are probably only aware of about three. All kinds of ways God is orchestrating certain things, putting certain things together, making certain things happen that you receive the blessing of at any given time. God is working in numerous ways and you and I don't see it very much. We maybe see a tiny bit of it. I don't even want to ask you what, what three is out of 10,000. Like, what percentage is that? Like, point zero, zero, three, okay, anyway. But it's this whole thing of, like, God is doing all kinds of things. How often do you and I stop and give credit? Here's this guy, and he realizes, man, he's been healed. You talk about a big deal, a leprosy, like, that's a problem. And he realizes he's healed. And I don't know how the conversation went. We're not giving anything. I can't remember. Hey, guys, I'm going to go back and give thanks. Yeah, we're good. Like, I don't know how it went. All I know is he parted ways with the other nine and went back to Jesus. And what does it say? He was praising in a loud voice. There are some of us that are so comfortable in our faith that even when music is being played by an incredible team, by the way, that when we're going through it, lyrics are on the screen, we're just going to be like, I don't really do that. I'm always singing out loud. And here's this guy realizing the gravity of what's just happened. And he comes back, and some of you are going to feel uncomfortable with this. Praise God, this is awesome. Look at this. Thank you, Lord. Look at all you've done. Jesus, oh, my word, you're incredible. Thank you, Lord. And some of you feel so uncomfortable that I just did that. Like, wow, that's pretty charismatic. That's pretty crazy. Have you ever understood the gravity of your sin? The power of what separates you from God and sin? And the fact that you've been forgiven of your sin because of Jesus Christ? This guy knows where his healing came from. This guy gets it. Like, he's got a whole new life to live. But before he goes on, he comes back and falls at Jesus' feet in gratitude. And then there's five peculiar words in the story. Because you would think it would just end with this. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. <clears throat> and by the way, he was a Samaritan. And most of us are like, so? What you don't understand is, again, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He, he, he talks about he's in between what, Samaria and Galilee. In other words, he's dealing with people from, from, from different backgrounds. And it says that this leper colony, this group of lepers that comes and, and, and wants pity, they, they get pity and they're healed, but only one comes back and Jesus is, 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 you know, receives you know, the, the gratitude from this one, but Luke specifically records the one that came back was a Samaritan. The reason it's such a big deal is because if the other nine or any number within the nine, five of them, six of them, seven of them, four of them, if any of them were part of the nation of Israel, if any of them came from Jewish descent, they should have known to give praise. They should have known to stop and thank. They should have understood God's grace and power and word and the history of all that God had done in Israel to deliver and redeem and set free and establish as a nation and all that stuff and the requirement to come back and give thanks. And they didn't. 
it was the Samaritan. It's meant to create tension. It's meant to, to, sometimes, and this is the tension that I'll create in modern day. Sometimes in the world we live in, people that aren't part of church world act more humble and grateful than people that are. Can I just say it? You're like, why did I come today? I should have waited. Like, you made me feel bad today. But isn't it true? There are times where I see people that aren't necessarily part of church world bragging and praising God more than people within the church. It's the same idea. And he was a Samaritan. Those that should give thanks are people that should understand all that God has done in Jesus. And yet very often, the many that don't give thanks are all that are, you know, all that understand what God has done in Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? You almost imagine him like, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give God praise? And then he says this, except this foreigner? Like, and he didn't say it like that, but I think that's how we read it, except this, like, except this guy who's not part of us? That's not how he says it. He doesn't mean it as an insult. But again, it's that idea that if anybody should know to stop and give praise, it would be people that understand who this God is. It's a reminder for you and me. And then he says this. Rise and go your faith has made you well. That's the New International Version translation. But, but in essence, it's literally saying, not only are you healed from leprosy, you are saved. The grace was extended to all of them, but only one responded to it, and that one got something far better than just a physical healing. It's the same thing today. God's grace is extended throughout the entire world. God's grace is extended. God blesses me throughout the entire world with the hope that they would acknowledge God's goodness and grace in all of creation. Romans chapter one. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from that which was made so that men are without excuse. Romans chapter one. God's grace is extended throughout the globe. The message of Jesus has been preached to billions of people. I had the pleasure of meeting a couple a little bit earlier who traveled Europe and did ministry just recently. The the, the ministry, the message goes out to all the world. God's grace is extended throughout the world. And yet, what's, what's asked of mankind is a response, just like the leper. How many of you guys remember Jesus on the cross in the Bible? You read the stories. How many of you guys remember it wasn't just him on the cross? There was Jesus, but who was on his right and left? Two criminals. Now, I don't mean to make light of what's going on here, but do you realize the criminals were bickering with each other right in between Jesus? Like, here's Jesus and like, okay, rebuttal? Yeah, what? Uh-huh, you want to say something back? But here these guys are, and and one of them, understanding the stories and the fables and and all this stuff about Jesus doing miracles, says, hey, aren't you the Savior? I mean, can't you just, just take us off? Can't you just deal with this and get down from the cross? And the other criminal says what? 
how dare you insult this guy? We deserve to be up here dying. Like they're bleeding and dying and this is their bickering. It's a little bit comical to me. Don't, we deserve to be up here. This guy in the middle, he doesn't deserve to be up here. And then the criminal turns to Jesus. Remember this? What does he say to Jesus? Hey, when you get to your kingdom, will you remember me? Like we're about there. And what is Jesus' response? Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say it to the other guy. He said it to the one willing to acknowledge who was dying right next to him. See, the big deal is this. When you and I get to a milestone, when you and I get to a point of celebration, when you and I understand something like the cross that's worth celebrating, what Jesus wants is acknowledgement. What Jesus wants is credit. What Jesus wants is surrender. That's what it comes down to. And when we take that step, we receive in a similar fashion to this leper the blessing of not just God's general grace in our lives, but the blessing of life and salvation. Rise and go, your faith has made you well, has put your soul back together, has brought healing not just physically, but spiritually. How many of us need that today? And honestly, would that, that, that we would come to a place of surrender. God, I give you the praise. I give you the credit. Keep in mind when we understand the theology of, of, of mankind. We have life. Why? Because God gave it to us. And what does scripture remind us of? He gives us life and breath and everything else. You know what that includes? Everything else. So why in the world would we not stop and give credit? But the beauty of it is there's power to giving God the credit he deserves. See, see, stopping to give thanks is plugging your life back to the source. For you and I, when, when, when the chickens are hatching, when the dream is fulfilled, when the thing we hope for comes to pass, it's easy, like the 90%, just to go on with life going, this is amazing, what a great life, look at all I've done, look at how smart I am, I can't believe I pulled it off. Look at the connections I had, look at the resources it took, I did it. I'm about to sing, I did it my way. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I know, I get it. But see, the, the problem is this. It didn't come from us. It's not because you were so intelligent. It's not because you had all the right connections. It's not because of what you could do in your own strength and might and, and brains because you're so amazing. It's because God is the one who opens doors, fulfills promises, brings us to a place of seeing hopes and dreams happen in our lives, moments worth celebrating, milestones achieved. But I'm telling you what, when you get to that point, how quick are you to stop and give God all the credit? Because when you do, let me say it back to what I was talking about, because when you do, you're plugging your life back into its source. What do I mean by that? Why do I put it that way? If you've ever used a lithium battery or a rechargeable battery, I've got one right here in my heated vest that I'm gonna wear on the roof here in a little bit. 
But when I, when I use it, what do I do? Well, I plug it into a power source. I let it charge. Once it's charged, I unplug it from that power source. I plug it into whatever it is that I'm using. I use that thing and use that thing and use that thing. And eventually what happens? It wears out. So what do I have to do? I've got to plug it back into its source. And too often, this is what I'm trying to say, 90% of people, it seems like, somehow are blessed and continue on not plugging life back into its source. And when we walk that way, over time, what happens is the light stops shining. What happens is we're not giving God credit. What happens is we're living in our own strength and that light becomes more and more and more dim to the point where you're not shining anymore. That's why it's so essential in the moment that something is fulfilled that you give God all the credit. When God blesses us and we simply go on living our lives, our power wanes. But stopping and giving God praise regularly, giving him credit regularly, is what puts us in a place of remaining humble realizing where the blessings have come from, giving God all the credit because he deserves it, giving others some credit because people have a role to play in our lives, but making sure that you and I aren't taking the credit. In Daniel, in the Old Testament, it opens up in chapter one, and, and what happened was, the nation of Israel and Judah ended up, uh, nation of Israel ended up splitting into two nations, Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And over time, there were wicked kings that rose up, and so they suffered the consequences of their wickedness. And at the point of Daniel chapter 1, it's around 600 B.C., and they're being exiled from Judah to Babylon. Daniel's one of these that's exiled, and he's a young man. He's in his teens, probably, and he's got some friends that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in chapter one, it says that they were taken from the regular society of exiles and brought in the king's palace to be trained to serve the king. And here's Daniel and, and, and his buddies, and in chapter one, it says this in, in verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the time, uh, at the end of the time set by the king, they were brought into his service. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every, look at verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the other magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And then chapter two, and I'm gonna explain this briefly, but in chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that terrifies him. And he goes to these astrologers and enchanters and you know these people with wisdom and Daniel was part of that group. And it says he went to them and said, hey, I had a dream and it troubles me and I want you to tell me the dream and I want you to interpret the dream. And they're like, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And the king goes, no, you tell me the dream and you tell me the interpretation or else you're not for real. And don't mess with me because this is messing my head up and I can't sleep real well. And if you can't tell me, I'm just gonna have you killed. Like that's how things operated back then. And so they're like, well, king, nobody can do that. There's not a person on the planet that can do that. 
And so the king's like, all right, tell you what, you guys are all dead, go away. Well, there's a whole group of them and Daniel maybe wasn't part of this conversation. So they're being hauled away to be killed and, and Daniel speaks up to one of the people that's hauling them away. And he's like, what, what's up with the king? Like he's got to you know, burn his saddle. Like what's his problem? And, and he basically says to Daniel, well, here's the deal. The king had a dream and, and nobody, can nobody can tell him the dream and interpret it. So you guys are toast. And he's like, well, hold on. Like, let, just, just, let me talk to the king. So Daniel is humbly brought before the king, which he could be killed for, by the way, in the moment. So Daniel's got this courage. He goes before the king and says, king, what's up? He says, well, I had a dream and no one can tell me what the dream was or what it means. And he says, well, tell you what, there, there's a God that I pray to that, that I think he can tell you, but give me a day. <laughs> so, he, so Nebuchadnezzar says, fine, you guys have a day. Tomorrow, sayonara. So Daniel goes back and begins to pray and he says to his buddies, pray. We need to pray for this. And it says that Daniel spent the night praying and asking God, what is the king? What is this dream? What's going on? And it says that Daniel received, look at chapter two in verse uh, 20, verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision and Daniel thought he was pretty hot stuff. Daniel thought he was really something because he knew the dream and its interpretation. Daniel praised himself when he realized the interpretation. That's not what it says. What did Daniel do? The very first Thing Daniel did when he knew he received the answer. Daniel praised the God of heaven. Would that you and I would live like that. Oh, that you and I would see something fulfilled and go, thank you, God. You're so amazing. Keep it plugged into the source. Keep that humility. He goes on in chapter two, in verse 20, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes, excuse me, deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Then he turns the conversation to God directly. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. How quick are you to give God all the credit? How quick are you to turn to God when you realize you got the answer to something you were hoping for, dreaming of, anticipating, looking forward to in your future and you arrive there? How quick are you to praise him when your dream is fulfilled? How much is it about him? Want to stay humble? You want to stay blessed under that covering that he gives us? Then remain connected to the source of power by giving God all the credit all the time. Jesus, help us with that. That when I think of all the chickens we want to hatch, all the things that we hope for, all the dreams that we have about the future, or, or, or even a step back, God, as, as, as we think about together certain milestones that have been reached in our own lives, in those moments, how quick were we to give God the credit? How quick were we to praise 
the Lord. How quick were we to shine the light in our humility that it wasn't about us. It was about God and his goodness and graciousness and his love and his work in our lives. Father, I pray for your spirit to to quicken inside of us this want to lift you up all the time. This want to praise you all the time. This want to give you all the credit, whether it's just another day we woke up and still could move our arms and legs and bodies. We could still see or hear or whatever. We still had a meal we could have or a place we could drive because we have a vehicle or a job that has income. That God, there are so many ways practically that maybe they're not milestones, but what does it look like to praise you there? And what does it look like when those milestones are achieved? when we walked up to the altar and said, I do, thank you, God, for this. When we finally graduated and that school was done and the degree got to hang on our wall, thank you, God, for that. When the door opened to that dream job or that child was born, whatever the milestones might be in each of our lives, God, I pray, we would be so quick to give you credit that not for a moment can pride come in and make us think we're so great. We don't grovel, we're not miserable wretches, God, and have nothing in our world. God, you bless us, but ultimately it's not about us. At the end of the day, we're undone without you. Help us, God, to give you all the credit, all the time, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.